episodes, you've probably caught on that we've been talking a lot about Ohio Masonry, because there's a lot to talk about. Well, this evening, we're back with part three and an amazing brother that's going to help tell us the rest of that tale. So stick with us, because we have an amazing episode lined up for you right after this on Historical Light. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. now, enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers. Happy to be back with you all. And we've got our amazing guest, Brother Chad Kopinski, back with us once again, going through part number three of Ohio Masonic history. Thanks for coming back, Brother. How you been? It is an honor to be here. Thank you for... uh uh, you back. This is, by the way, this is the five times. You know, SNL, you get a jacket. Do I get like, do I get a, do I get like a commemorative spork or anything? Is there any of that in the in the in the, in the budget? Do I, no. It's in the works. I think we're going to do one of those disposable, crappy paper Masonic aprons, and we'll like stamp it with historical light. I'm going to say go for the spork. It is. The it sp- is. There you uh, go. It is uh, unusually useful, uh, much like myself. So uh, things are great here. <laughs> Um, so as always, thank you for letting me be on here. It's always good to see, always good to see, uh, to see your face. So, and an honor to be here on, on the podcast. So thanks. No, thank you for coming back. You know, this is really fun because we've never had the opportunity really to delve this deep into a topic. I mean, part number three, and of course, for anyone that's gone back and seen the, the notorious chicken episode, we'll know that you and I can talk quite a bit. So we could have probably wrapped this up in one episode, but we're covering some amazing information along the way. And it's definitely a topic that I've enjoyed and learned so much about Ohio Freemasonry. Well, and I appreciate that. And the thing that I hope people get is that, yeah, I like to talk about Ohio because that's where I live. But the truth is that there are there are these modes and there are these waves that happen in um, in masonry. And even though it happens in um, in Ohio, if you go into those proceedings of your own jurisdiction, you'll see a lot of these same issues, a lot of these same um, concerns, all these same discussions happening at the same around the same time. You know, in the first one we talked about just the formation and how there's the mythology we mythologize the formation of our grand lodges. And the second time we spoke, we talked about ritual development and we scratched the surface of that and how ritual development really ended up having so many intended and unintended consequences as we developed our ritual. Um, and then um, the, I guess my topic I want to talk about tonight really has to deal with the idea of education and how, how, with education, how, at least in Ohio, how we struggled with that definition and the role of it has absolutely changed and altered so much of what has happened and is happening in mainstream. And I think when people go to their own jurisdictions, they'll find 
again, a lot of similarities. Most definitely fully agree with you. And, you know, that aspect you talk about, about defining what Masonic education is, I think that is something that has been a struggle for much longer than us. You know, I, I really do. And even to this day, you rarely find two people that will have that same definition or even agree with your definition. It's a fun conversation to have, <laughs> and I've had it. Sure it can be. Uh, partially, it is really interesting um, to get guys to start talking about what Masonic education is. And very often, where it starts is they can do the, I know what it isn't. Um, you know, well, that doesn't quite qualify. Well, why not? Um, you know, you and I have talked about this um, in a number of you know venues. You know, when you start saying, well, what if I get up and watch and I do a presentation on the life of the Marquis de Lafayette? Is that Masonic education? Absolutely, yes. Okay. What if I get up and I do a presentation on the use of the grammar in ritual? Is that Masonic education? Well, absolutely, that's fine. Okay, what if I get up and I start talking about, well, I don't know, um, I start doing um, excerpts from How to Win Friends and Influence People. Is that Masonic education? Well, maybe, I guess. What if I get up and I want to talk about Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth? Oh, yeah, totally. That's totally Masonic education. What if I want to talk about... Um, the comic book series, uh, Superman, A Man for All Seasons by uh, Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb. What if I want to talk about that and, and, and that story? No, that's not Masonic education, not at all. And people have a hard time saying, well, what it is and what it isn't. Is it the esoteric right. stuff? Is it ritual? Is it history? Is it myths? Is it modern myths? It gets to be, and that struggle for a definition um, it's an interesting and very long conversation. So anyway. Most definitely. Well, I cannot wait to dive into that. Okay. Before we do, I want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon supporters of Historical Light. Thank you guys so much for keeping us around and helping us grow to who we are today. And if you guys listening today like what you see here and want to help us do just that, stick around and grow, bring more amazing content, you can do so by going to our website, historicallight.com support and support us through Patreon. And depending on the uh, level that you support us at, you'll get some pretty cool swag items there as well. So check us out, historicallight.com. One other quick message before we get into the meat and potatoes tonight. I've got to throw this in. MasonicCon Kansas is right around the corner, and you are right at the end of your ability to get those tickets. So jump on over to MasonicConKansas.com tonight and secure your tickets while you still can. I think our festive board package is probably gonna be ending within the next week or two. So get on those before uh, before they run out, and we hope to see you guys there. All right, man, so. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so we have a really packed conversation, and there is a lot in there. So let's start this off, because before I lose this train of thought, you keep poking at the fact of that definition and we're talking about the history of Ohio. Do we know where they leaned in that definition when education really got introduced in your jurisdiction? We do because, and it's all, it's all connected, man. <laughs> Ohio did not have an official committee on education 
until about 1956. Okay. And they were late to the game. But when you look at other jurisdictions, like what was happening in the mid 50s, that's our what our supposed golden age of masonry. If you look at other jurisdictions, they start having a committees on usually education and service. And the reason why different jurisdictions started these committees is because lodges were initiating, passing and raising hundreds of guys per year. In fact, in the proceedings where they start talking about uh, starting a committee on education, just before that, the largest conversation, the argument they had at that annual proceedings was what, whether they should impose a limit on the size of a lodge and whether 400 or 500 members was really the upper limit a lodge should be. Now, we'll get into unpacking that as a whole other thing. But when they started this, what, actually, I'm gonna go back. You're here, uh, you're gonna hear a pervasive theme throughout tonight, which is what? Everybody does that, don't they? Wait, nobody's doing that? Well, <laughs> we need to throw some education at it. Yeah. And that's a lot of what is happening is all of a sudden we're realizing if a lodge is, if a lodge is making 500 new members in a year, what are they really doing? What is the education, right? If, what, what is that person getting besides a, a dues card and a watch fob, if they're getting a watch fob. Right. So now let's take a step back. And um, and so when the Education Committee first started, it was 1956 when they did it, and they actually made it the Committee on um, Education and Service for some reason. Um, and the thought was, well... Um, Just to touch on that real quick, though. Yeah. What, what do they mean, education service? Like community service type or? What the craft was doing as service to the community, yes. Okay. So, okay. you know, ways that we could provide charity, ways that we could, you know, live our values externally. Um, Understood. So they had must have had some notion then that education was something about putting our values into action, right? Or what is education really? But for them at that point, what it really became um, idea was, was creating essentially candidate counseling materials. So that okay. when a guy was initiated, passed and raised, um, because at this point we still didn't have a written ritual that people could actually you know, take home with them. We had to separate out monitors with just you know, the, the we would call our lectures or proficiencies. Right. But here was a here was here's a little book that you can take with you. And you read this, it'll tell you everything you need to know about being an agent apprentice. Don't read it now, read it tomorrow morning when you have your oatmeal, but this will tell you what you need to know about being an agent apprentice. It's not one of those booklets, but there are a few that are on that bookcase over there from over the years. And so it was the notion that okay, education is nothing but candidate counseling because there's this it's not happening in the lodges, so we've got to provide it. Now, we start, we actually get an official education only committee um, a few years later. It actually ends up being 1959 um, that we get an official committee. 
and they start piloting these district education officers who are supposed to go out and um, make sure that uh, this candidate counseling program is being used. At the same time, the original committee had put together an officer's manual. And so the Grand Master said, well, the district education officers, they should also probably go out and they should make sure that that officer's manual that's coming from the ritual committee, they should also instruct in that too. Well, wait, so the ritual committee is now doing the officer's manual? So now there's a big argument about, well, then education must not just be the ritual. Maybe there should be something in there about, I don't know, lodge management and stuff like this. And what's interesting to me is because again, now you have these lodges that are initiating passing raising. There's Trouble Dog coughing. Uh, there are five <laughs> of five appearances. Thanks, Trouble. Um, that um, so candidate counseling isn't happening so that we need to provide material for this. It's the assumption that, well, you know, of course guys are getting Masonic education, right? They're getting the degrees, right? They're getting the good stuff. Well, no, they're not. They're not getting that um, in that way. There's also the assumption that happens, that happens in a lot of masonry, that what happens in your district is the same everywhere else, that bubble that we've talked about. And so now that in the start of the committee, we have our district education officers, who at this point aren't an official Grand Lodge position. It actually was a position that was appointed and reported with the chairman of the education committee. Um, oh, interesting. Just, oh, that, it, 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 um, interesting doesn't touch the tip of the iceberg so, on that uh, one. Huh? It, again, it, I'm going to say some things you know, that may seem kind of negative, but they really aren't. It's a struggle, and we're all trying to figure yeah. this out, and nobody gets it right. And, you know, and they're done with the best of intentions, best of faith. What they're finding, and it partially is because of Iowa's structure. We have 25 districts, and each of them do things in their own kind of different way is that as these district education officers started talking, you know, what was coming out of Grand Lodge at the time was really geared towards these lodges that were doing hundreds of degrees per, uh, per year. Right. Um, and then the DEs are saying, yeah, that's great that we have this, but we have these lodges that they're only raising like two or three guys a year. So what, what are we doing for them? So the question became, well, then what happens at meetings? If you're not doing degree work, then what happens at meetings? And that was a huge discussion. Well, well, if you're not conferring degrees, then what are you doing at meetings? Well, we get together, we pay the bills, and then we adjourn to go, I don't know, go home, or we go downstairs and play cards, or we go do something. Right. Well, now there's a problem. So now what are we doing for that? Well, I guess, um, Maybe we should try to find a speaker's bureau. So then the education committee becomes all about trying to cultivate and find these great speakers that are in the state who can then go and, you know, go and provide lectures and travel and provide lectures, you know, elsewhere. They find guys who have great can speak on any number of topics, but there's 550 some lodges at that particular point in time. So right. what are they going to do. So then the focus of, of the education committee for about the next 20, actually more than that, so 1950 till really almost to today becomes what are we going to provide for lodges? 
what, what becomes Masonic education? And when it starts off, it becomes a lot about history. So what is the history of our ritual? What is the history of Ohio Masonry? And so the, um, the committee starts producing, reproducing, collecting, grabbing things from the MSA and starts creating um, a library of, of things that a lodge education officer could actually like present in lodge. Right. Um, but then the question was, well, what becomes mandatory and what becomes optional? If a guy comes up and says, listen, I do want to talk about the fact that, you know, I see Masonic references in, um, in Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band because the, tonight's the anniversary of that art of that issue being, um, of that album coming out. And I want to talk about that and watch. Can I talk about that? Well, I don't know, does that count as Masonic education? And so the committee starts having to redefine, well, what's the role of education? What's the purpose of it? Mm-hmm. And they start realizing that there are these holes. So they start producing these 10, um, required programs that need to be done in Lodge. And district education officers, their role is to get these 10, um, these 10 pieces and then hold the training in their different district to the Lodge education officer. And here's the 10 that you're going to present this year in Lodge. Let me teach you how to give these presentations in Lodge. So education then is just about, um, you know, providing content and meetings. But wait, we're also recognizing that we're not really producing very good leaders. So we also need to do some, we need to think about leadership. So education then becomes about um, developing leadership training. In addition to these required programs, they start developing large leadership training and they follow the same model. District education officers become trained in something called the TEL program, the Effective Lodge Leader. And that still exists today. It's something that we borrowed from another jurisdiction. We got it at the Midwest Conference of Masonic Education. It was Missouri. We kind of took it. We repackaged it. And we've used versions of it for about the last, well, since about 1975. So, 50-some, 50 years. Where now education is about leadership and training good leaders. So, education is leadership. It's content. But education can't be about ritual. Because in Ohio at the time, district education officers, lodge education officers were not allowed to instruct on the ritual because that stepped too much on the toes of Mr. Deputy Grandmasters. Hmm. Let me back up a second because we're now into the 70s. Um, a couple of things, and I'm, again, I'm hitting with a broad brush, but again, this is the thing I talk about forever. Education, uh, Ohio has, has had an education committee for, it's at 1956, so whatever that is, 67 years. There have only been 13 men who have actually been chairman of that committee in the last 67 years. That is pretty much unheard of. In most other jurisdictions, the chairman of the committee might be a Grand Lodge officer or might change every two to three years. So that means that the direction of the committee and the focus of the committee will change very often. And very often um, in jurisdictions, the education committee is somewhat subject to the whim of the Grand Master. They, the Grand Master has an idea, has a theme, and um, uh, 
education committee just sort of does what the grandmaster tells them to. In Ohio, there's only been 13 men who have uh, held that position, and one of them held it for about 35 years. Wow. Um, of those um, 13 men, seven of them either were grandmasters or past grandmasters. Um, and only really, and for a long time, it was seen that head of the education committee was part of that stepping stone to grandmasters. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, so there was the sense that education was important, but there was also the sense of, you know, again, what the role of education is. So I want to pause here for a second because I need to take a drink of water and because I've been yeah. talking for 10 minutes or so. No. So while you're on that thought though, you know, it, hearing you go through kind of this transgression of the history of, you know, how it kind of evolved into this, it, it's interesting. And I wonder how many listening can relate within their jurisdictions. Cause I'm hearing a lot of similarities of what I know here in Kansas, but also to that aspect, when we're talking about this, this importance and in injecting it into lodge, you know, one of the things we have here in Kansas that is a written law is that the only education or the only topics that can be discussed as education must be Masonic. But it's like, what does that mean? Okay, well, do, yeah, define that a little more. And it's just, it's left up to the lodge at that point. So it, it, it's really interesting to see how we've got this, this really wide struggle of not wanting to 100% tie that down and then not being able to. But we've also had jurisdictions like Virginia that went a little step further and they were like, well, it's, it's everything outside of the ritual because that's, that's required. And then anything you know beyond that is education, essentially. Well, and here's, I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on that because this is where it's gonna get interesting. And here's where I, luckily, most of the people here are, are no longer with us, and I'm hearing this through reliable sources. So, sure, the guy who was um, chairman of our committee for 20 years officially, but he served in the committee for seriously like 37 years. It was a guy named Royal Schofield, Grandmaster in '72. I know that name. Um, well, because, yeah, we have a society named after him, which, funny note, just because uh, um, I'd never heard of the guy when I joined Masonry. And when we were creating the Royal Schofield Society, um, I got a message from a guy named from Jess Raines, who was Debbie Graham Mash. I said, yeah, we're named after, uh, we're going to call this thing the Royal Schofield Society. And I said, what the hell is a Schofield? And so, and I just found that text message because I wanted to send it to him. I think it's funny. Anyway, um, so Royal Schofield by this committee for how many years? And it was he who really, because it was one vision and one idea of what it could be, he started doing some things that hadn't been done before. He started doing these um, correspondence courses on our officer's manual and on our ritual and on our code. And the funny part was, is he, they were written correspondence courses he graded each one of them individually. So guys would do them and you'd mail them back to his house and he'd grade them all in red pen and send them back. Wow. And part of them were factual, but a lot of them also were essays where you had to interpret it. So it was his vision and his mindset that really kind of helped in an almost nefarious way. Like the idea of like the hand that rocks the cradle, like controls the world. Because he was the person who, it was his vision of education and because he was driving there for so long, he had a lot of influence and control over what happened in Masonry. Now, when he finally stepped down, which was in like 
the early 2000s, things had really changed. And there was the fear that at this point, DEOs were still not necessarily, they were a Grand Lodge position, but even in their, um, even in their ritual to install them, it says, you know, that you were installed by the recommendation of the chairman of the Grand Lodge Education Committee. There was this fear that, that essentially, Royal Schofield had his own little like Dumbledore's army of DEOs. Um, and there was this concern because now we have this one day class. And what does that, where's education's role in the one day classes in the early 2000s? Now, if education is leadership, because we've got the tele program going, but it's also what's happening in lodges because we do this sort of content. Oh, but wait, we also need to do something for the one day class guys, but, um, but, but we can't talk about ritual because, you know, we have district deputies and so we're going to step on their toes. And right. it is whenever there is a lack of something happening in lodge, that's when they decide that that's what education is. They decide education is to fix it. And I'm saying they with a broad brush. I mean, but what happens is over and over, it's the assumption that certain things are happening within lodges and when they find that it's not developing educational programs to help to deal with that particular thing, which expands what education is, or right. in some ways limits it. And what we get in um, basically 2000, we get the right year here. Remember I talked about that, um, well, it's 2003, excuse me. 2003, we have uh, it's the second or third year of the one-day class. Um, in Ohio, we have so many different, we have 25 different districts, each can do their own different thing. In some of them, the district and lodge education officer positions were really successful, and some they weren't. And so one grandmaster comes around and basically says, this isn't working. And so 2003, he just ends it and says, you know what? District education officers, we're done. Wow. District deputies, you're going to start doing that work now. And it, so it's one person, one thought, and also this idea of breaking up what Royal Schofield had done in terms of education was almost too powerful. So it needs to come back under this idea of, you know, the grandmaster has a say in what happens with um, education. Hmm. And what happens in Ohio, I think, happened in a lot of jurisdictions is the committee becomes much more of an arm of what the grandmaster is doing in this year. We see the rise of grandmasters serving for a year and having a theme and what happens in education reflects that theme. What happens in you know the activities um, happens um, according to his theme. In Ohio, we hire a guy named Chad Simpson and he becomes the director of program development. And by and large, a lot of the work that would tend to be done by the committee ends up being done by Chad. He starts developing things to do candidate counseling. Um, those lovely booklets to be given to um, uh, candidates. Things to support the one-day class. Different initiatives like uh, one-day classes or um, open houses or veterans things happen through this Office of Program Development, which kind of take education out of the committee, out of that loop. And we right. start seeing um, we start seeing that committee become much more passive in their role. 
And we start seeing the role of education being much more of a franchise model, which again, again, sounds negative and it shouldn't be, but it's just, that's just sort of the nature of what's happening in masonry. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about the building blocks. We're figuring this out along, you know, along the way as we go type thing. And, well, and what we see in the seventies, eighties and nineties is this idea of the franchise model that yeah. when you go into a lodge that what you get should be the same from lodge to lodge to lodge that right. we are one fraternity and we speak with one voice and we are one masonry. Um, and we all say the exact same words and always have. <laughs> Don't even get me started, man. Um, but we get a change. And um, this is where I'm going to tread lightly because sure. uh, I think if anybody's listening to this, you know, of the 13 guys who've been uh, chairman of the education committee, I'm one of them. And I am absolutely proud of my time serving on that committee. I absolutely am. It is between, um, I served on that committee as chairman for three years. Um, I've been on that committee for almost 10 years. Um, I stepped down as chairman to start working on the Midwest conference and they keep me on now. I think mostly, um, out of politeness. Um, I'm, <laughs> that's not, I'm joking. Um, I feel like I can contribute, but I mean, I'm on, I'm the representative from my district. Um, the way that our committee is set up, which is also interesting, is that since the since the DEOs came back in 2009, the education committee was structured so that it had representatives from every single district, as opposed yeah. to a small group of people, which were handpicked by the chairman, like Royal School will pick his own group of like 13 people to be the education committee. Since 2009, the education committee has had one person from every district because they recognize that everything is different in each one of those districts. There's, and so education has to be different for each of those districts. And there's been a, a push there. Right. And since um, the person who's chairman for me was a gentleman named uh, most worshipful to Charlie Murphy. And um, why I say I tread lightly is because neither if he were on here, he would give me all the credit. And as I'm sitting on here, I'm going to give him all the credit. The truth is, it doesn't matter who gets the credit at all. What matters Indeed. is that it's we're looking at sort of what education is and can be. And what the committee does now is that it has the representatives from each of the, um, of the districts. And the idea is almost that fraternal consultant um, model that the education committee becomes the place where good ideas are collected from around the state and they are disseminated out to all the different districts and that the district education officers are empowered to help lodges find what works best for them. That there isn't just one, education isn't just one thing. It can be many things, but there has to be a context associated with it. Right. Um, and so in the struggle to find the definition of what education is, when Charlie Murphy came on um, and continuing on for me and now into our current chairman, um, Steve Hessler, uh, right, which was Steve Hessler, who looks like Captain America, so I will refer to him as Cap. 
Um, but the definition of education in Ohio is, is, as we talked about, it's any activity properly framed that teaches the values of Freemasonry um, and allows brethren to uh, incorporate them into their lives. Because inherent in all of that is a recontextualization or rethinking of what education should be. Because Masonic education thrives in connection and dies in isolation. So the role of the committee should be to get people to not be isolated, to get outside of their bubble. Because there are great ideas everywhere in a state. Likewise, um, that education can be responsive to the needs of the brethren. So it is, there's a passion to it. There should be a purpose to it. There should be an intention to what education is. It can be anything properly framed. Um, it just needs to be right for that lodge, those brethren and their needs. And the big thing is that it can't be dispassionate. This is where I'm going to get in trouble and say that the worst thing that ever happened to Masonry is us adopting the phrase, we take good men and make them better. Mm. Because if you think about that phrase, what that means is that you walk into a lodge and we slap a coat of Masonry on you and all of a sudden you're a good man. Right. It's passive. Masonry is not passive. Masonry is not disconnected. And in fact, I want to get, I'm, I'm going to stand in the soapbox tonight, darn it, because it's my, I'm allowed. Masonic education, that's a tautology. That's using two words to describe the same thing. Masonry is education, right? Yeah, because, no, I would agree. Because the whole point of masonry is that you come to a place with people who know more than you do. Um, and when you know more, when you know better, you do better. And just as coming to a place with people who are smarter than you um, teaches you something, also teaching others something that you know more about, it's amazing what you learn in that reciprocal process of education. Masonry right. is education, and it is not passive, and it is not disconnected. And so that is what Ohio is trying to do with education right now. But when you have people who have, when you have entities that have been passive for so long, yeah, trying to get them to get up and get moving is difficult. But how do you do it? One brother, one moment, one handshake, one connection, one spark at a time. And you play the long game. Because masonry is education, and it's not passive, and it's not disconnected. So you focus on the connections, and you focus on the intention, and you, you go from there. 100%. We got a Brother Hackney over on the Facebook side saying, absolutely, Brother Chad. And I have to fully agree. Nailed it right there. Well, hell, I just also skipped over about 60 years of stuff to get there. Because <laughs> um, I'm trying to, because otherwise I'll talk forever. Because, But where I think, I'm not going to say Ohio has this right. We don't. What we're trying 
because you know Michigan is doing something that's remarkably similar, and so is so is Illinois, so is Kansas, so is California, so are other places. They're trying. They're recognizing that masonry is education, yeah, and that what we need to do is we need to enlighten and empower masons, and there are these myths that are out there. There are these. Sorry, I'm getting off topic here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that whole topic for a whole other time because I'll get even more on a soapbox. But it is the idea that um, it is the idea that it is so big that it can't be fixed, or that there's this one solution to fix everything. Right. But no, getting back to the idea of no, we need to help you find the right solution for you. And need to not and to give you the resources you need to focus on just one brother, one moment, one handshake, one moment at a time. Right. Uh, so. No, you know, I I'd love what you're touching on there, and what it's really driving home in my own mind is, I guess, the importance of that connection. You know, like. We, we have, especially in the modern day, we have so many Masonic speakers out there, not to cut anyone down, but there's like this, this almost necessity for anyone that does a Masonic topic to be like this guru expert all of a sudden, be all, say all, like he's the guy, right? And it just makes me think like, okay, well, if we're all experts, what's the point? We're good, right? There, there's... There's nothing else to go from an expert. So, but there's there's still this like this importance and this connection for this communal experience, right? And what I've personally taken so much from what I've what I've seen impact others is most definitely to have that like educational aspect, but to do it in that communal sense and. Most definitely, like go ahead, have your lecture, but instead of just any questions answers, all right, thank you guys have like intentional discussion time. Like not just do you have a question, let's talk about this because it's always been that back and forth that like I take the most away from. So I don't have a whole lot of marketable skills, um, but what <laughs> I'm really good at, um, I'm joking. I mean, but what I'm really good at is I can create content and I can write yeah. and I can just like, I can throw something on a page for guys to, to throw darts in. Sure. And one thing I started doing is I started actually recognizing that, again, we assume that the people that are in as lodge education officers know how to lead a good discussion. Well, wait, they don't? I started creating guided discussions, like scripting them out. Here's the question. Here are the beats that you're going to hit. Here's, and if, if they go off on tangents, it's okay to go off on that tangent, but at the end of it, here is how you can, here's, here's how you're going to wrap this up. Right. It was, it was one page and we did a number of different topics. I did one on uh, Freemasonry and fatherhood, you know, yeah. like, um, you know, and it came to be just questions like, um, yeah, I mean, does Freemasonry, and we started off with the big ones, like, you know, does Freemasonry, you know, teach you how to be a better father? But then also like, well, what if, what if a brother is not being a good father? What's our responsibility? What's our duty? What does it mean to be a good father? What does it mean to be a good son? 
But, right. you know, and all of a sudden, I mean, some lodges are ready to talk about that and they're great conversations and some they aren't. But what I'm getting at is education is so incredibly passive yeah. now. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this now because then this means that I can never do it. And I'm going to take it thoroughly off the table because if I don't say this, then I'm going to do it someday and, and I shouldn't. Here was my dream. Um, and I think I'm going to talk about it here in this podcast. I was going to create a presentation uh, called How to Throw the Perfect Punch. Okay. And I was going to talk about how in martial arts you learn about, um, I mean, I, I don't know if I talked about this or not, that if you ask somebody who has never done martial arts to throw a punch, it makes, it is perfect. Like they, they do it instinctive. Yeah. If you do somebody who's taken martial arts for like six months, they can only pass on what they've known. If sure. you do somebody who's done it for a few years, they will, um, it's a difficult question because there is no perfect punch because it has to do with what are you trying to do? What's the intention? What's the, you know, we trying to set up 100%. and, and I was going to talk about, you know, how, you know, we have these kata in martial arts, which is, you know, walking in the footsteps of the master. And as I talk all about that, and right in the middle of my presentation, I was going to have a guy get up out of the audience and punch me. <laughs> um, or try to punch me. And I was going to resolve the situation. Because what I wanted to have happen is because I wanted the audience to react. And I wanted them, and I wanted to basically tie that in and say, we can't lose sight of the fact that masonry is a practice. There is no perfect punch. The yeah. perfect punch is me in that situation resolving this. We can get yeah. so lost in the study, in the perfection, in the dissection of this, that we lose sight of the fact that every single one of us, every single day has to internalize, interpret, and express and practice Mason. Yeah. And that is- Well, you know, the, the fact of applying, because, you know, I, I feel like so many brothers go like, okay, well, I know what it is and that's good enough. But no. did you apply it? Because that does it make any difference if you don't apply it? And so then Masonic education, sorry, I should just say masonry, because again, yeah. masonry is education. Enlightenment, 100%. It can be more than just the use of grammar and ritual. Yeah. It can be, how am I a good dad? How am I, you know, God, I just, I just muffed this at work. What do I do? Or... God, I don't know if I'm good. Like, it can be all those things about when I know better, I do better. So let me come to a place where I can help others do better and be better, and they can help me do better and be better. But never lose sight of the fact that it is not disconnected and it is not passive. It is connected and active. Um, so, yeah, now that I said that, I can never do it. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that. You can still pull it off. I probably could. And Chicago Masonic Con is coming up, but I can't. I don't think I, I'm going to do it there. Is Chicago the right place for that? <laughs> no, because 
the people that you and I both know in Chicago, they're they'll try to take my head off. So you know, <laughs> they they won't even they won't even think twice. But and again, I've gotten off topic and I've actually kind of thoroughly gone off the rails of what I really was going to talk about tonight. But I think I've gotten where I want to get to, which is this. The struggle in education has been trying to figure out what the role is and, and how to make it so that it's not just the whim of one man or one idea. That it, it is the idea of getting each Mason to understand their agency, their responsibility, and their duty to understand, internalize, interpret, express, and practice it every single yeah. day. And it's still a struggle. Yeah. But you know, I, I think it's important, you know, talking about that, that practice, that application, once you get to that level of it, it really does open up that conversation of, okay, well, what is education? Because we deal with symbolism. And once you start applying it, the teachings and the meanings and the lessons behind that symbolism can be applied in almost every facet of life. And I mean, if we were going to have our, you know, Masonic ritual really outside of just symbolism, delve into the lessons, they would still be writing it today. And it would just be this forever long infomercial. We're able to pack this in, in some pretty impressive ways, but like until you actually get to that point of applying it, of unpacking it and seeing how you can attach it to life, you don't even really touch a tip of how far it can go and what all it means. Well, and it's, again, it's the concept of martial arts, right? Which yeah. is you can sit there and study. You, see, this is the beautiful thing. Do you know how many things have to go into throwing a punch? How many different muscle groups have to come together right. to get the timing to throw a punch? And if you're somebody like me who doesn't, I don't have the best coordination, it takes hours for me to be able to like break this down and get all those things happening at the same time. But the more you start pulling at those threads, what does it mean to move my hip this way? What, how does that affect this, this, and this? You're right. It takes, it takes a depth of study, but then bringing it back, like, again, internal to external. Like, it's this constant process of reevaluation and re-understanding and going back to the beginning with new eyes, new information. And now we'll throw in Joseph Campbell and the whole cycle of this, that, and the other thing. But I've got to be honest, it almost... You ever heard my, you ever heard my, I've done my knife metaphor for you, haven't I? I want to say yes, but it's been a while. I have a whole big tortured metaphor about, uh, you know, my knife and masonry. But a knife, like, is a knife inherently good or evil? It's not. What does it, what does it do? It cuts. But it's the intention behind it. What do you do when you cut? Right? Is it to harm or is it to heal? Is it to, is it to, like, what do you, right? Um, so, uh, and then this knife, it's mine. I've imbued it with a certain amount of history. I have a connection to this knife. The, yeah. And there's a whole long story behind it. So when this knife, where did it come from? 
And what am I going to do with it? So once came it, and what came it here to do? Everything we do in masonry kind of comes the same way. Where did it come from? Like, what's the history? What is the, what's the weight of this? The import, the context, the, in, but what's the intention? What am I going to do with it? How am I going to express this? How am I going to use this? And again, going back to what education should be, which is connected and active, which is what masonry should be. 100%. You, seriously, you just keep letting me talk and you just, you should stop doing that. Hey, man, you're doing great. You're doing great. Fun. No, you know, I'm sitting here and it, I've got these different thoughts running through my mind and it, it's kind of connecting back and it's making me wonder because we'll never truly know what was discussed, but like you're talking about uh, your education officers, which we, we have a education committee in Kansas. We've never had the district education officer platform uh, that many other jurisdictions have. Um, what we do see historically is that our grand lecturers filled those roles and they would go around and hold these schools. And obviously, you know, the mass point of that school is, is the ritual itself. Uh, but when we look back about the, you know, the accounts of those schools that were taught, we often see that lively and deep, interesting conversations were had about the ritual and it always makes me, well, what exactly did they discuss? You know, what, what tangents did that go off in to really understand where these guys' minds were at in learning and understanding, uh, even to get onto the path of applying? I think it would be quite amazing if that was documented and we could compare that to where it's come today. Uh, but sadly, all that was skipped by, but guys that path talk. in itself has always been there. Because guys want to talk. I yeah. Mean, I mean, you talk but that's about, how we work through so much, right? Have I talked on, have I told you the story of a guy named Keith Manbeck and the Acacia? I don't think so. Keith Manbeck. Uh, I can't get it off the wall. <laughs> Keith Manbeck um, joined our Royal School of Good Society. And guys have to do um, a masterpiece. Uh, Keith is a botanist. He's now currently our grand Tyler, by the way. But um, and, uh, his daughter died of um, cancer. And I mean, she was in her 20s and it was really aggressive and it's been fairly recent. And um, he really wanted to talk about acacia as a symbol from the idea of a botanist. And as he's writing this paper, he's researching its history is a symbol and it's like, as a scientist from the Holy Land. Um, and I was his mentor on this, um, creating his masterpiece. And he had a small section in there about how the research on this acacia came to him because one night he was called to give the uh, Master Mason lecture in Lodge. And he done it a thousand times, never thought of it. And it was just kind of like, you know, Burr. but all of a sudden that one night when he got to the part talking about the sprig of acacia, all of a sudden that symbol made sense to him because he thought about his daughter and about how there's that thing that survives the grave. And all of a sudden, all these connections to that symbol helped him. I mean, you never really, oh, 
overcome the death of a child. It helped him understand it more. And it made him right. understand the symbol more and understand the lecture more and understand how that entire experience in the third degree, what that was really about for him. And that, and then it was wonderful because as he wrote like four sentences on that in his paper, I said, Keith, that's the good stuff. Like we can talk about, we, I mean, the history of a symbol is great and it's wonderful, but man, guys are going to connect to that. That's what, that's what I need. Like and him talking to me about his experience helped me understand that symbol more. And he's done yeah. this presentation a few times and it's got, I mean, it's, he can't do it a whole lot because it, you can imagine, but there is a video of it um, somewhere. I think it's on the Grand Lodge website of Ohio website and I shouldn't. So if you're in Ohio Mason, go find it. But um, if you're not in Ohio Mason, why not? Um, the, but guys want to connect and allowing them to talk about those symbols. I mean, that's really what our proficiencies are and our symbols are is a way for brethren to connect and say, oh, that's yeah. what you got out of that? Oh, I hadn't thought about this. Or, right. you know, to say, man, 24-inch gauge, how are you spending your time? Masonry and, and education are the exact same thing. And it's not, it's, it is not passive and it's not, you know, disconnected. And so everything we do is connected and active and provides a platform for this. So, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you know, connecting that back, you know, hearing about that brother and his and his daughter passing away, and and having those discussions and that sparking, uh, I guess, different thought processes. What do you got there? When he did his presentation, um, he this is a sprig of acacia from the Holy Land. Yeah, you have shown me this, and he uh, he gave a copy of it to his watch. And he gave me a copy of it as well. So this is a sprig of acacia from the Holy Land in Parma Square encompasses. So now this hangs in his lodge um, as a gift to his lodge and as a gift to that moment. That's so, fantastic. Sorry. No, no, you're good. But, you know, just that connective fact and like you said, through his experience was able to impact you and your experience. And, you know, like to the best, maybe not to the best, but I, I'd say one of one of the major aspects I find to be a point of life of why we're here is experience. And every single one of us, even though many are similar, many on the same path, we all have a different experience. And every single one of those little differences delve in to make an impact when we discuss and we share and we can learn from one another. And I just, it, I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, when we, to a large degree, masonry can be like a solo journey, right? Like a lot of people will say like, you can very easily get your, get your, uh, your degrees and then you can learn a lot of the stuff by reading books and everything. But there's still that major importance of tying back into lodge because of that communal aspect. And I think right there, is that major aspect of being able to contrast and compare with your brothers around you and tie back in to really understand it in a whole new light that you would never be able to fully experience in your lifetime. 
this is a block of marble. It is essentially a perfect ashlar, right? Indeed. A perfect ashlar by itself, it's a rock. That's all that yeah. it is. But if I take the perfect ashlar of my life and I put it with yours and we put it with our friends, if we put it with whomever, we build something that is strong and steadfast and long lasting and transcends those stupid things like time, distance, and death. That's what it's about. And the reason why I grabbed this one, because, you know, again, intention. This is a block of uh, marble from uh, James E. Olmsted. He was a grandmaster in 1995. This was given to his DEOs and district deputies and important people. It was given to me by uh, his grandson, who was a member of my lodge. And uh, why it is important to me is two reasons. One, it's going to be by his grandson as a gift. Um, when I became district deputy, and also because Brother Olmsted, Monster Brother Olmsted, was the person who brokered the deal that brought Grand Lodge of Ohio and the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Ohio into Amity. That's fantastic. This is from his year. So this is this is on my desk as well. It's kind of one of those like those touchstones. Right. Um, so what came, what where to come from, what came here to do. Um, education is not this is connected and it is active. And one of the things I hope the brethren as they're sitting there get. And we went in a way I never thought we were going to go on this discussion is I need them to realize that they are the heroes of their own Masonic journey. They are not passengers. Right. And if, as they're sitting there right now, don't let anybody make you a passenger in your own Masonic journey. You're the hero of it. Um, and remain active, remain connected, remain educated, and remain Masons. Man, we should have held off like 30 seconds because that would have been one hell of a toast right there. I'll back up. I'll say something stupid for the next. Let's talk about sporks. Because here's the deal about them. They really are unusually useful. And, you know, I tell you, like, this is, um, uh, I can tell you why this is, you know, emblematic of myself. Because I myself am, you know, unusually useful um, or surprisingly useful. How about that? So, we'll, well there. I'll throw in a little uh, behind-the-scenes story for for the viewers here. It, it's awesome for me to see you destroy your house. I don't know what you're doing over there, but <laughs> wow, that's a prison spork there. This is uh, K Bar makes a, a spork that has a, a hidden hidden knife in it. So. That's awesome. Sorry, no, it's it's really cool to see you pull out this spork for one reason because uh, early on we were still getting to know each other. Uh, we were talking about a certain thumb drive with some materials on it and you would offer just to shoot one in the mail to me and you did. <laughs> and to keep that safe in the mail, <laughs> you put a spork on it and wrapped it up in cloth. And when I got that, I was like, holy cow, that's cool. I haven't seen a spork in years oh, and I, I still have it. <laughs> it was one of these too. It was. 
Is it yellow or red? But yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I think I did that. I totally did that. I have it upstairs. I'll, I'll let you know later tonight. I'll go find it and see what color it is. These are surprisingly useful. I have like, I have a handful of these and I have them everywhere. <laughs> so, well, um, on that topic, brother, we are at the top of the hour. We've had another amazing discussion. And I want to ask if once again, uh, you would offer us up a toast for this evening. I wish I could just rewind back and remember what the hell I just said like two minutes ago. Because you're right, that would have been uh, just perfect. <laughs> I know, I'm staring at the clock like, oh, man. Like, talk about something else. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Let us uh, offer a toast to, the, to all of us who strive um, in masonry who try to understand what masonry is, um, what Masonic education is, and what its role is. And who don't, who remain bloodied yet unbowed in their pursuit of uh, masonry. Because, because masonry is active and it is connected. So let us offer a toast to those uh, who strive for um, who strive for connection. To You're those here. who strive for connection. Cheers. Well, brother, I want to thank you so much for giving up so much of your time to come on this show and share your knowledge and spark different thoughts within us. That have, you know, while we're learning about Ohio and sporks, but while we're learning about the history of Ohio, we're able to connect that back, better understand Freemasonry as a whole, and really connect to that inner meaning of where Freemasonry is going. You know, we, we've talked about that aspect that learning as we go and figuring this out, and the guys before us didn't have this, this master plan. There were some stumbles along the way. And of course, we're going to look back and see things that could have been done differently. And guys ahead of us will look back to us and see things that we could have done differently. But we're figuring out this as we go. And we're trying to make it much better so that the next generation can do the same and keep repelling on with it. Last thing. Yeah, Sorry. go for it. One last thing. And here's where, here's where I want to say nice things about you. And I don't like to. But oh, Lord. End of the show. Click. The guys that came before us, what they didn't have is they didn't have the connection, the connections that we have today. You yeah. are, I don't know where the hell you are. You're in Kansas, right? And I'm yeah. in Podunk Junction, Ohio. And I know that we're, you have listeners in Wisconsin. Hi, Jason Laramie, how you doing? Like the, the, we have such an ability nowadays to be able to connect to guys from all across the country yeah. all across the world and because as we said a thousand times tonight masonry you know dies in isolation and thrives in connection we have such an ability and opportunity to connect and that's why it is such an exciting time in masonry and you're a part yeah. of this as are all of our podcast friends and as are all of our you know internet friends and our writing friends and so thank you for all that uh you're doing and to keep us connected and to keep us informed and to keep us active. So thank you very much. 
That uh, means the world, brother. And thank you for everything you do as well, because you are no stranger to service to the craft. I'd say that first and foremost. But with that, brother, I want to thank you sincerely for not just coming on the show, but seriously, everything you do for the craft. Uh, and for me as a friend, you've been a tremendous asset and all, all above. So with that, thank you, brother, so much. Thank you for everyone that joined us live this evening, or if you're listening to this in the recording down the road, thank you guys. I hope you took something away from this. And until next time, keep preserving the history of Freemasonry. We'll see you soon. Have a great night.